Hello, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a very, very, very special edition to A Moment in God's Word with Mitch. Guys, on the other end of the line here, I have a guy that I am amazed and so happy to be able to call my friend. He is a family man, a man of God, a motivational speaker, and author of the book when the dust settled ladies and gentlemen please help me welcome mr joe potosi to the broadcast system joe how are you doing this evening sir i'm doing very good thank you so much mitch i appreciate this opportunity to speak with you not a problem joe well hey you know we're we're gonna kick this off right away here um I want to talk to you about your book, uh, When the Dust Settled. But before we do that, Joe, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit something about yourself? For sure. So I, I reside in Iowa. I'm a family man. I have two sons. Um, and I work at a local university. And I'm always trying to advance God's kingdom by... Being trying to be a difference maker in the world in which we live, and um, God has brought me from so far, you know, from rock bottom. And I'd like to share with you about that a little bit. But um, to be honest, Mitch, twenty twenty was uh, was a very difficult year. I uh, was working in the ministry as a college and youth pastor for seven years and um, that position came to an end and then COVID rolled in and I had back surgery in July. My wife got COVID in October. I got pneumonia shortly after. And then my mother-in-law died. Uh, she had a lung disease for years, but they think the COVID kind of, sped up the inevitable, you know. So it was a rough year, and my faith waned a little bit, to be completely honest. And But I've been renewed, and I've been reminded of God's promises. Amen to that, Sean. Well, my condolences, sir, to your loss. And, you know, I've read your book, When the Dust Settled, and I have to say, that was one of the most powerful books I have ever read in my entire life. Now, in the book is basically your testimony on how you suffered through physical, emotional, and mental abuse as a child. Um, if you're okay, Sean, or Joe... Would you be able to tell the listening audience on how God brought you through all that and what made you decide to uh, write the book when the dust settled? Sure. I would love to. And if I could do it a little differently and just say that, <clears throat> well, I'll just start off by saying this. <clears throat> I was on a <clears throat> excuse me. 
I was under the age of five when <clears throat> my father left the family. He abandoned us, and there was a new man on the scene, and the household went from one of love and affection. Although we were poor, we had love, and the house was a home. Living in the projects, being poor, but we had each other. That all changed, and myself, as well as a few, a couple of my other siblings were particularly targeted on a daily and weekly basis. And you mentioned with the verbal abuse and the physical abuse, including being locked in the basement, have a gun pulled on me. And you think you could run to your mother. You have one mother, right? Yes. And she will protect you like a mother hen. But she was one of the perpetrators. And, um, you know, when I was, when I became school age, I looked forward to going to school while my friends I would walk to school with were more reluctant. They'd rather stay home or skip school if they could. But I knew by being in school, I was safe. I wasn't going to be berated or hit or treated poorly, locked in a room or a closet or whatever. And in fact, at one particular time, I built up the courage to tell my teacher how I was being treated and essentially the school failed me. Um, the teacher came to the house and my stepdad and mom lied through their teeth and put on a great show. And I paid a heavy price for opening my mouth, so to speak. You see, Mitch, there's an unwritten rule. You don't put your business out on the streets. Whatever, what takes place in our house is no one's business. Up to including getting your the crap beat out of you on a regular basis for no apparent reason, etc. Watching your mother get beaten by your stepdad who's 6'5", 350, you know. So I started going to this after school church program. <clears throat> my mom allowed me and my sister to go and it was twice a week I would go and I, I would love to just go and listen to the stories of God and what Jesus Christ did for all of humanity. And I can't remember all the times the lady, her name was Helen and uh, June was another lady that helped out. They would share the story of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation for all of us simply by putting our trust in him. Uh, This was my dilemma. I loved stories about God and Jesus. I felt warm and fuzzy. I felt like pretty, you know, like awesome. But I couldn't trust my mom, my stepdad, or my even my fa- my real father. How can I trust in this God? I couldn't see, feel, or touch. So that pattern of going to church was another way for me to get out of the house, get away from the monsters I lived with buy me some time and you know whatever and um, eventually I reached out to the church for help and they failed us as well so and not to mention my extended family now I should mention 
in the summers, I lived in Illinois, just outside Chicago, Rockford, Illinois. We would be allowed, typically be allowed to go to Dubuque, Iowa, where my extended family lived, where my mother and birth father were from. And it was during my summer vacations, I would see all my cousins, aunts and uncles, my grandparents. But the icing on the cake for me was always seeing my dad. Because after all, he was my hero. I thought that, you know, all those times I would walk to school, he would come around the next corner and, like Superman and save the day, you know, rescue us, rescue my mother and all of us kids from the monster and set things right and accept my two youngest brothers. You see, my birth father had one girl and three boys, but he never laid eyes on his youngest son because... He he left us before he was born. So essentially, being only you know under five, I remember my dad vividly, and I remember a lot of the details. My two youngest brothers, his sons, were just the one was just like ten months old, eleven months old when the other one was born. The only father they knew was our stepdad, right? So they mm-hmm. didn't have the, <clears throat> they didn't they did not have the connection I did with my birth father and I remember countless times just explaining to him what was going on and I would tell my grandparents and instead of them and others in my extended family calling social services they would get on the phone and cuss my mom out cuss out my stepdad but nothing ever got resolved and I had to go back to the trenches. So this pattern continued for years and years. And um, when I was in fifth grade, I got a paper out that I won't get into all the details. But because my stepdad kept taking the money, I quit the paper out. And he confronted me, pulled his thirty-eight caliber handgun on me, and pulled the trigger. And <clears throat> it was at that point. I was I was that voice and that advocate for my little brothers and tried to be strong for my sister. I had these thoughts of suicide and contemplating in my mind how I can take my own life. And then I finally had an opportunity on a Saturday morning. Look, they they went to the park and left me at home. I went looking for his thirty caliber handgun. I couldn't find it, so I figured, well, if I can find this twelve gauge shotgun. Didn't find that either. I figured I'd blow up my brains and they can clean up the mess. So no luck finding the weapons, I went back to my bedroom. And that's when I believe God said to me, not an audible voice, but in my head, in my heart, you need to be there for your sister and brothers. And from that day on, I mean, I was motivated before, but from that day forward, I had no more suicidal thoughts. I was more revved up and fired up to be there for my kid brothers and my sister and in spite of what they did to me locking me in the basement taking away privileges treat me like an animal they couldn't kill my spirit they could not kill my spirit so eventually my mom left my stepdad but things was you know so there were six of us kids you know, the youngest two are my stepdad's sons living in this ran-down apartment. <clears throat> and you think, okay, we're away from the monster now. And 
things got to get better. Maybe my dad will reappear and, you know, things will be different. Oh, things just got worse and worse and worse with my mother. Her, her alcoholism intensified. She would have guy, random guys over all the time, and they were smoking weed and going through her bedroom. I don't need to explain what happened after that, but her treatment toward me and my sister just got so awful, so awful. I, I saw my stepdad. Um, maybe a few months after we moved to this new place, and I asked him if I can live with him. Now, remember, he was the monster. He was the beast, whatever. And he just laughed in my face. <clears throat> it was at that point I realized I needed to join the military to get out of the situation and, you know, to make a life for myself. Now, all these years, Mitch, I've been still going to church, <clears throat> and I need to point something out. And I was around 15, and we used to go to this Pentecostal church, Church of God in Christ. And <clears throat> every Sunday, they would have an altar call where you walk up to the front and get saved or whatever. And I always started tugging at my heart. So guess what? One Sunday, I did that. But I, I, realized, but I realized years later, Mitch, years later, Simply walking up to the front is not what saved me. Amen. I had to put my trust in Jesus Christ, and I hadn't done that. So um, my mother, we were living in Rockford, but she decided to move back to Dubuque, Iowa. Now, I, I joined the military on delayed entry program, <clears throat> but the stipulation was I had to graduate for a semester. But my mother moving back to Iowa, Iowa wouldn't accept a lot of my credits. So I was forced to go to an alternative high school. I needed two credits to graduate. And um, <clears throat> so I would go to school. I was on the honor roll, you know. I'd walk up to the Y, lift weights, and then jog all over the city just to try to get in top-notch shape. All the while, my father is back and you know, he's in Dubuque. But he's a helpless, hopeless alcoholic and living in the rescue mission. Only time you come around is when he was drunk. So <clears throat> when I wasn't hearing motivational pep talks from my mom about how much she hates me and how I'm not going to make it in the boot camp and how I disgust her, etc., etc., I was dealing with my dad, my drunken father. So. One particular time, he came over. He wanted to see his other sons, and I refused to let him in the apartment. We grew up with alcoholic parents. I don't want my kids subjected to more than they need to be subjected to, right? Yeah. So I kind of blew up at him, and I was just beyond furious. You know, and I, I loved my father, but I was angry. I was resentful. I was upset about him leaving us, and I had unforgiveness in my heart. So what happened was I went to his sister's house, Grace, who was like one of my favorite people in the world. And she sat me down and we talked things out, talked things through. And long story short, it was at that point, I found the ability to forgive my father for everything. Ever since I was a young kid. You know, all those years we were separated, he never sent us money. Uh, he never helped out, helped us out with anything. And I was resentful about that. But, um, you know, so 
um, that's basically what happened. The day I go into boot camp, I have to take the city bus to the Greyhound. My mom sends me off in her typical fashion, hollering from the top of her lung, telling me I'm a loser. I can't make it. I'll never make it in life, and you can never come back here. So that was my dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I go into the military, and, you know, I had promised my grandfather, who was in Pearl Harbor in the Navy, I wouldn't be the typical sailor. <laughs> I wouldn't. Right. But I, you know, the guy that's in the bars getting drunk, fighting, and hooking up with all these women, that's exactly who I became. I discovered, you know, I had forgiven my father and it set me free. And because I loved my mother by default, I thought I forgave her. But when I got into real life, I was carrying around all this emotional baggage, all these scars, not to mention the hatred and the, the, this thing I had from my stepdad. And it was destroying me because I discovered alcohol and it was through alcohol. I found it, it eased the pain for that day or whatever. Right. But it was always there the next day, but the pattern continued. I mean, I got into, I got into some fights while I was in the Navy and I got in big trouble. I almost got kicked out, but I, I survived it. Got out. Got my honorable discharge, bought a house in my hometown of Rockwood, bought a car, got a good job at the airport. But the drinking continued, this pattern. And eventually, <clears throat> I became homeless due to my recklessness. Now, by this time, my step, or my real father, he's back around us. He's, he's uh, written a room from my mother. They're, they become best friends. Although they both still drink, he cuts the grass, pays her, and just, he's like a handyman, whatever. When I lost my job and broke up with my girlfriend, my dad's like, why don't you go to Dubuque? And I'm like, that's the last place I want to go. But I took his advice. I didn't have, all I had was the clothes on my back and some clothes in a bag. I took a Greyhound bus, came to Dubuque, and... Stayed with my cousin for about a month before why I first got there the first month and met my present wife. Anyway, um, we got married in 96. And then in 97, um, I was searching for something. Now, I had a job. I had a wife. I was being fed, right? She was taking care of me. I had shelter. I was no longer homeless. Um, But there was still something missing in my life. Easter, we went to church, and I've been to church on Easter for as long as I can remember, and I've heard the gospel message, you know, verbatim almost, but it was that time. In 97, I clearly heard the gospel message and put my trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross, fully and completely, and suddenly my life changed. I got involved with ministry, working with children, Sunday school junior church i created created a clown ministry and then this guy was going on a missionary trip he asked me to fill in for him at the at a local nursing home you know usually you go on a wednesday he said just for a month or two 
So I agreed to do it. Ended up being 14 years. Wow. 14 years I committed to those people. And um, I did it out of love and just trying to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But there in the same time, I, I had the opportunity to have a television program, radio, and it was everything centered around Christ, man. But one thing I want to mention, too, before I get too far, and that is in 1998, we're, we found out we're going to, my wife was pregnant, we're going to have our first child. And, you know, I'm a born-again believer now, right? <clears throat> and, but I still had some lingering effects toward my stepdad and my mom. She's a very toxic individual, and being around her just triggers me. And God, I, I started having these dreams and nightmares about what I endured as a child. Everything resurfaced. And I kept hearing the same message in my brain. Forgive them for I've forgiven you. Who are you not to forgive them? And on one particular day, as I laid in bed, I made the conscious choice to forgive both of them. And it was like a million pounds lifted off my chest. I forgave them. Doesn't mean I forgot. I mean, my stepdad, you know, once I became a father, I wouldn't let my kids around him. And you just can't trust the man. Um, and so my first son was born in 98. Then my second son was born in 2000. Now I got saved in 97. My wife still is not a Christian. She grew up in the Catholic church and, um, but you know, she started going to Bible study with me back in 97 and started going to church with me and, her mom was upset that she was not going to mass at Holy Ghost. And she said, mom, I've learned more about the Bible in the last six months than I have my whole entire life. But it wasn't until 2000. Oh, let me back up. So I said drinking was a major problem for me. Mm -hmm. When I got married in 96, I put myself in the treatment center, outpatient, because I knew uh, I can't continue to live like this. So I did that, and I joined the 12-step program. And then in 97, 98, that combined with my belief, my fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, I was able to have no desire to have alcohol or whatever. Those, the thoughts I used to have about people or the people that, you know, the, that tormented me all those years, no ill will. I just didn't trust them. You know, right? So it was in 2000 when my second son was born, and it was he had a he was an extremely sick child. But it was in there in that time, my wife put her trust in Christ, and um, you know, so um, during this whole time, I've been involved with the ministry and just trying to make a difference, as I mentioned before, and then you know the book that you referenced before it took me over 10 years to write it and i'll tell you why there was job loss surgeries i heard i got hurt at work i was laid up um i won't bore you with everything but just just different things I, it wasn't something i could just sit down and write but the reason i was 
the reason I well, let me the reason I wrote the book is it had a beginning. I started to journal. I started to write stuff down that was in my mind or just as a new father, I would write stuff down and I found out that it was helping me. And my wife, who's probably read a thousand books, she's a mental health nurse, she goes, you know, you should write a book. It can help so many people. So that was my motivation for writing the book um, is I want to help everybody else. And I want to see that you know, there's this saying I heard recently that is so true, and it's some, it goes like this, you guys. If you have not healed from who or what has hurt you in the past, you will bleed on those who never cut you. In other words, I had a huge trust issue, right? Yeah. When I went to the Navy, I still had a trust issue. When I got out of the Navy, I saw the trust issue with people, people I would just push away, not physically, but you just, you feel like they're getting too close, whether mm-hmm. they be guy friends or, you know, even girls, you just like, that's enough, you know? And over time I healed and it's by God's grace. I'm confident fully without any hesitation. That was by his grace and mercy. He brought more on that. And, you know, so I kind of shared a brief overview of what I went through as a child, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I I mentioned I have two children. I want to say this to you, Mitch. Your condition does not have to be your conclusion. Amen. There's something called learned behavior. And I'm going to be honest with you. I never wanted kids for a long time because I was afraid I was going to beat them the way I was beaten because that's what I know. I'm going to talk to them the way I was talked to. I'm going to belittle them. I'm going to lock them in a room. I'm going to just out of sight, out of mind. I didn't care, right? But I broke in that cycle. My sons today, 22 and 20, don't know what it's like to be locked in a basement. They don't know what it's like to be homeless as a child. They don't know what it's like know where the next meal is coming from. They don't know what it's like to watch their mother being beaten half to death on a regular basis by the stepfather. They don't know what it's like to be abandoned by a dad. They don't know any of those things. And you may say, your listeners may be saying, what's the big deal, dude? I can't relate. You can relate. All of us can relate. All of us have a condition. Earlier, I mentioned about COVID and 2020 and all the stuff I went through. You probably have a similar story. Maybe you have a similar childhood. Maybe you lost your career job due to COVID. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe going back to this job, you lost this job that you've been at for 20 years. It's a career job. It's a job of your dreams, et cetera, et cetera. And as a result, because you you lost your job, you lost your house, you lost your car, you alienated from certain people in your life, et cetera. We we can do one of two things. You can roll around in the mud and feel sorry for yourself, or you can lace up your bootstraps, dust yourself off, and move on. Look for that next career job. Look for that next, you know, relationship. Look for that next opportunity. But do it, do it under the guidance of God, leading, guiding, and directing. Because there's one thing that's key that I learned the hard way. 
there's our will and God's will. I mentioned I've been in the ministry. The vast majority of the time I was in the ministry, almost three-fourths of the time, as a volunteer, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I became the college and youth pastor part-time for a little church in Wisconsin, I was paid a salary, but it was never a job. It was more like a calling. And, you know, I, I thought they were prepping me to, take the next step to be become the full-time pastor. And when that didn't materialize, I felt, I don't know, maybe betrayed, maybe this, maybe, you know, I felt a certain kind of way. But I was reminded that's not God's will for me. It was what, it's what I wanted, but is that what God wanted for me? There's a, You see what I'm saying, Mitch? You understand oh, yeah. What I'm... I do. So that's why, and I commend you on all the stuff you've done, Mitch, but being a part of small groups of other men, or if you're a female, being involved with a small group of females at your local church to help you to mature and grow in your faith. And when we struggle with things, we can talk to each other, you know, and get across. So I'm presently working on my second book. Um, right now the title could change but it's called Unshackled and it's kind of a continuation of the first book um, it's very powerful and I think it's it's raw too I mean I don't sugarcoat anything in this book all of my missteps and um, you know if I can go back real quick, Mitch, and mention, when I was talking about my sons, mm-hmm. you know, I hope that when I'm dead and gone, that Dash doesn't represent, oh, I know it's going to represent for me, or the fact that I was a good provider, a good father, and above all, a believer in Jesus Christ. There's so many, there's a few people in my extended family, like we have a reunion or whatever. They might bring up the past, right? My not so great past when I was a young adult. And guess what? Christ has forgiven me. I have forgiven myself. I'm not the same person. Second Corinthians chapter five talks about whoever's in Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away. So if God says it's passed away, why do I still beat myself up about it? Exactly. You're going to find people that do that, that are going to try to bow beat you and keep you down and, you know, keep you from excelling, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to have confidence. You know, I think people get the idea that as a young boy, I had no confidence, low self-esteem, low self-worth, you know. In terms of like having having those girls I liked, but I figured in my mind, hey, maybe they think I'm dumb, I'm ugly, just like my mom tells me. What's the point, right? But I eventually have rebuilt my confidence and my self-esteem and my self-worth. And it all goes back to my relationship with God. You know, you know, Mitch, check this out, dude. I I won't listen. I didn't have any of these verses scripted out. I didn't know I was going to talk about these. I feel like God is just leading me to mention this, man. Yes, he is. 
Yes, Man. he is. I can, as I'm sitting here listening to you, Joe, it's, it amazes me, you know, just what the power of God can do in somebody else's life and the power of forgiveness, you know, as I've heard a few times before, forgiveness sets the prisoner free, but that prisoner is you. Amen. Amen. That prisoner is you. So, Joe, let me ask you, um, where can people get your book, When the Dust Settled? I would actually like all of my listeners who are listening to this to get out there and buy this book. This will be one of this book will be an absolute blessing in your life. Where could they find that book, Joe? Sure. Thank you. Um I have a website, JoePotosi.com, P-O-T-O-S-I.com. On the website, you'll find the links. The book's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Zulon Press, X-U-L-O-N Press. Also, um, if they wanted to buy buy a personalized copy, I have a Venmo account. It's Joe underscore Potosi. And I'll be more than happy to personalize the book to you and send send it your way. also, you can find me on Facebook, Joe Potosi. Instagram, Joe underscore Potosi. Um, <clears throat> two pages on Facebook. When the dust settled, one of my pages. And then we have a fan page, when the dust settled fan page. So there's a lot 